Hi, bonjour, and welcome to episode four of the Step Over Podcast. I like to eat this. What do you want to do? We don't eat this. No, we don't eat our markers. These are underwear. Yeah, those are underwear for your dolls. Hmm, where'd that bunny go? Hmm, let's see. Here's some overalls. Uh, as you can hear, uh, I'm here with my daughter. Okay. As everyone heard, playgrounds are illegal now, so you can't play outside if you're a kid. So we got my daughter Zoe inside with us. So obviously that news sucks. You can't play soccer. You can't play any sports at all. So it's really terrible for everyone. And it's not based in any science either, especially outdoor activities. These are extremely low risk things, and yet nothing's been done about the higher risk things. Now this is bad news for everyone. Um, but I will say for the purposes of this podcast, it's kind of timely because my guest this week uh, is Professor Tracy Valancourt. I might just let my daughter sing for a while. That's probably more entertaining than, than me talking. Professor Valancourt is uh, extremely accomplished, uh, and we'll get into how accomplished in our chat. And last month, Tracy uh, wrote this this really great op-ed uh, in the Globe and Mail, which basically advocated for the opposite of what the Ontario government did, um, advocating that we need to uh, do everything we can to make physical activity accessible for kids. And Professor Tracy is also uh, a high-ranking soccer coach with Ontario Soccer, and she's had an impact on the careers of a lot of up-and-coming stars, and some who are already well-known to you. Hi. Do you have yogurt in your mouth? Mm-hmm. So she's just a fantastic guest. Um, and we're going to get right into it. So here is uh, my chat with Professor Tracy Valancourt. Can you say hi, Tracy? Nope. Professor Valancourt, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for um, having me. Uh, according to your Twitter bio, I'm going to start with that. So there's only 160 characters to use, and here's what you fit in yours. Uh, you're a professor at U Ottawa and a Tier 1 Canada Research Chair in School-Based Mental Health and Violence Prevention. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. You're a member of the Royal Society of Canada, of which you chair the Working Group on Children and Schools. Is that correct? That's correct. You're um, the president-elect of the International Society for Research on Aggression. Is that correct? That's correct. And you're a soccer coach. I am. Fantastic. So perfect for this podcast. Um, Again, uh, thank you so much for joining. I'm not even going to get into your LinkedIn page. I'm sure that's pages and pages. Um, (laughs) And, you know, there's uh, like, I like to ask you about every aspect of your work, but um, the soccer coach part, obviously that caught my eye. Um, And I wanted to ask a bit about your history with the sport and like, what was your introduction to it? So I've played forever and uh, I started playing when I was a little girl and there wasn't any girls teams. So I played with boys up until actually I played for with boys for up until my 20s. Um, Although I also started playing with girls when I moved to a bigger city. So I grew up in British Columbia in the small town called Revelstoke um, and we didn't have uh, we eventually had a girls team, but uh, I played with the men's team until I was about 22. Um, and then I went to university and I played university ball. I played, um, you know, when I was in Vancouver, I also played in the women's prem division. 
And uh, that was really competitive and exciting. But I think I'm that first generation of women soccer players, right, where they played with other women or girls when they were younger. Um, and now you, you've it's exploded, right? Like there are tons of options for girls and women to play soccer in Canada. And I'm not that old. I'm in my 40s. And yet that was my experience. Like when you were growing up, did you have a favorite player or like a favorite team? So I had a favorite team, um, but it wasn't like, it's interesting. So I really liked Mia Hamm when I was younger, um, you know, so we're a similar cohort, um, but there wasn't a lot of women's soccer uh, to watch. I mean, it never played on TV, very rarely. And so I uh, followed primarily uh, Brazil's national men's team. I was very interested in them. Um, I was very interested in the Swedish national team. Uh, I don't know if you recall, they came third in the World Cup in 1994, was it? Okay. And uh, I thought they were fantastic. And I, and I always liked Barcelona and Chelsea. Uh, and you still play? I do still play. I, you know, it's more walking soccer than anything. <laughs> I mean, we think soccer, we're soccer, you can still walk. It's fine. Yeah. I, we think we're fast, but we we're not. <laughs> we really aren't. <laughs> um, have you always had a preferred position? Like we're striker fullback. So I played striker until I went to university and then I got converted to a, a, a center back. At that point, it was called a sweeper. And um, at first, I thought it was a bit of a demotion. I couldn't understand it. But then the coach, I had this really good Brazilian coach, and he understood, he, he explained like the properties of a good sweeper at the time, somebody who was good at cleaning up the mess and who was fast and could um, run down the strikers who snuck through. So then um, I really liked it. And since then, I hate having... Uh, the game behind me. So I like being a defender. I like seeing everything in front of me. And I have a lot of respect for midfielders and for forwards because they have to play their back to net a lot. And that's never the case um, with a defender. Okay. So I've heard from players who are better than me and I'm going to assume uh, you're among them. Um, uh, <laughs> that if you, <laughs> if you, uh, if you go from being a, you know, a striker to, to a fullback that, it's actually not a like not that hard a transition because you you're used to attacking so now you're you kind of know how to I think I hear what you're saying I think the properties are quite similar um there's a lot of characteristics that are similar um I, I think that you know going from let's say defender to one of your central midfielders is quite a bit of a difference but uh, I can see what you're saying I think a lot of strikers get converted to defenders um, I, in my history as a coach, have converted a lot of forwards to fullbacks, um, right? And we see that even in our national program, like Ashley Lawrence played as a fullback um, in our national program and now still does for her club. And uh, even Alfonso Davies, he wasn't fullback and now he plays as a fullback. So I think there's a lot of properties along that, that line. Uh, up and down the line that are similar. And I think that the central positions are similar with the exception of those, the, uh, the eight, 10 and the six, perhaps. Um, so you're a coach. Uh, so you're provincially and nationally licensed. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Um, so who are you currently coaching with? So I'm coaching with Ontario soccer. I coached the, uh, well, the last coaching assignment I have was the U16. I was the head coach of the U16 provincial team, but um, because of COVID 
you know, I'm not too sure what my assignment is. It would have been the same thing coming in um, before COVID. And then um, I'm also coaching with the Canada Games team. So uh, that's uh, up and coming. We got obviously postponed because of COVID again. Um, and I've done the, I did um, Canada Games in the last Canada Games, but in that role, I was a support coach and now I'll be on the bench. Great. Um, so when did you first get into coaching and what's, like, what was it about it that, that kept you in it and drove you to kind of coach higher and higher levels? So I started coaching when I was in high school. I coached like the grassroots boys in my hometown and with a girlfriend of mine. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I've always really liked children and youth. I find they're, um, I mean, they're so funny and they're uh, a joy to be around. So I think that that's kind of what kept me in was that I was just really interested in this age group. Um, and, but I also always coached, not always, always, but mostly have been a, co- a player coach my whole life. So even when I was playing in the higher levels, um, in Vancouver, I was a player coach. And when I was in Ottawa as a player coach, and, um, even when I played in Sweden, um, after I got pregnant, I played on our lower division team and I was the player coach for a bit. So I really enjoy coaching. Um, I enjoy coaching uh, youth more than I do adults, but I certainly don't mind coaching adults either. Okay. Um, are there any lessons that you've like learned from coaching, you know, by being a coach? So it's so interesting because I think my science is better because I'm a coach. So as you mentioned, I'm a professor and um, I study youth and youth development. And um, there's so many things that I'll see happen over and over again. And then um, I'll then bring that into the lab and try it out and see if it actually is a phenomenon that we can replicate. And more often than not, it is. So um, I think I'm pretty good at picking out patterns and then testing them out. And uh, so I think I'm a better scientist because uh, I coach youth, but I also think that I'm a better coach because I'm a scientist. So I think the two are like a very good link being, you know, uh, trained as a clinical child psychologist and being a professor of child psychology and then being a coach of youth. I think it's like the best world. Like I can't tell you how much I love my job. So it sounds like there's like a lot of crossover then between your, your more scholarly work and, and like your coaching, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's really good. It's a really good combination. And I think I'm really fortunate. Um, I, yeah, I just, I lucked out. I ended up in the right spot for my temperament and the qualities that I bring to the table. Okay. Um, so I think that you've um, had the opportunity to coach a lot of, you know, a lot of players who uh, have some very bright futures. I wonder if, so I was wondering if you could uh, kind of give us a glimpse into, you know, who you've had uh, an impact on. So, uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times coaches will say, this is my player. So I'm going to say <laughs> this with that caution that these individuals, they're primarily responsible for their own destiny. They're such talented um intrinsically motivated individuals. So I've played a small role in their lives. Um, I think I continue to play a role in some of them more than others, but um, I've had the privilege of coaching some of the best girls and women in Ottawa. So I'll just speak specifically about the Ottawa uh, players. And then I'll talk a little bit about a few special players that came out of our provincial program. So from Ottawa, so I've had Olivia Cook in my life since she was eight 
Um, so I coached her right from the beginning and, uh, you could see her spirit was bright, like shining bright, right from the beginning. Like this kid was relentless and passionate beyond belief. So Olivia, uh, just most recently played on our U17 team for Canada and she was slated. I think she was going to make the U20 team, but unfortunately she ruptured her ACL, um, she's at USF and now transferring over to DePaul University. So huge talent. Um, Ariel Young, I coached her. She was on the same team as Olivia. Uh, so she was started, I started coaching her when she was eight. At that point, she was a dancer. And then I had to convince her that dance was not the way to go. Although <laughs> I don't want to get the hate mail from the dance. Uh, Nothing wrong with dance. Yeah, I don't want the dance community to be all over me on this. But, but she's a soccer um, player. Yeah, exactly. But Ariel was like so technically talented right from the beginning. And Ariel play has played for our U17 team, our U20 team. Uh, she even has a few senior caps. She's um, down at UCF and uh, she's also injured at this moment. So we had a bit of an injury group that we've been training together when they come home. Um, so Olivia and Ariel have been in there, but hopefully she'll be back and ready to go again. And then Molly Erickson. Um, so Molly played for Sweden on the U16, U17. She did a U23 camp with Sweden. Uh, she also did uh, a lot of camps with Canada um, and ultimately played for Sweden. And so Molly Erickson is at, is the starting keeper there and uh, was our starting keeper for the Canada Games team that came second and uh, full disclosure. So uh, Molly is my daughter. Um, so obviously I've had a more of an impact on her life, I think, than others. <laughs> uh, Bella Hainish, uh, I had coached for many years when she was little and she was very similar to Ariel in that she was very technical, really calm on the ball, beautiful, be beautiful feet. Um, anyhow, Bella has played for our U17 national team and she's currently at DePaul. I think there's, we're seeing a theme here of DePaul University <laughs> and she's playing fullback for DePaul. Uh, Bella is a good example of a converted fullback. So she used to play on the wing and now she's a fullback. And then um, on my provincial team, most recently, our uh, U16 team, it was the dream team. I mean, we smashed everybody with this team, but how could we not? Um, from Ottawa, we had Sheridan Mitchell, who's now in the Rex program and also has uh, a few camps for Canada. Um, and she's going to be starting her D1 uh, career soon. And Florence uh, Bazil was on my provincial team and I recommended her and shared into the Rex program. And she also has a Canada camp and um, Kira Mellenhorst, who played at West Ottawa for many years. Amazing kid, amazing talent. She was on the Danone Nations, uh, uh, Danone Nations Cup team. So was Molly. She played for Danone Nations. Um, cup and uh, she is currently uh, in the Rex program and will be heading to a D1 school in the fall. And then Clarissa Larisse, who I think you've had on your program. She's my last guest. Yeah. Yeah. And she's so lovely. So we just trained all winter when she came home. She's fantastic. The kids should be on the national program. So that's somebody I'm going to be uh, pushing hard. And I think other coaches will be pushing her. So she's just wrapping up at Memphis after like an outstanding um career there i think she's, she's their fourth all-time leading scorer actually. yeah, yeah. She's, she's on the 99 provincial team so i coached her when she was u14 u15 um u16 and then uh 
So she's doing really well. She's going to be going pro. And then Vanessa Giles, or Giles, as some people say. So Vanessa was on, uh, I coached the League One team with Christina Kiss. She played League One and made the all-star team, which wasn't surprising. And, um, you know, came in a little for a few sessions after. I haven't had direct coaching experience with her um, like I haven't coached her very much, but I recommended her to the national program. So I feel like I've played a little role in her career. She still owes me cupcakes for that referral. (laughs) That's my my referral fee. And then um, just from our provincial team, uh, we had Jade Rose, who's on the senior team already. She's a 2003. Olivia Smith is our youngest cap player in Canadian history. And she has loads of talent and uh, the kids going places as is Jade Rose will be the starting center back for Canada uh, for the next cycle. I'm sure of it, maybe not are, this cycle, but the next cycle. And these are all, um, and so these are all players that are from Ottawa. All of them, except for Jade and Olivia, Jade and Olivia were just a little, like they were on the provincial team that I coached. And okay. the one I told you that was like the dream team. And yeah. they're just exceptional, exceptional players. That's so fantastic that there's this plethora of talent yeah. coming from the region. That's fantastic. There's like a whole other cohort that's coming through too. Like that's at the 04 level um, that are in the provincial program that I've coached and coached for a very long time. But, uh, but I'll just mention the ones that have capped for Canada or have had a Canadian camp. So yeah. those are the ones. So you've had a, you know, the chance to work with a lot of players uh, and coaches as well and builders in uh, you know, Canadian soccer. Um, and I get the impression that you're pretty tuned in to the soccer scene in Canada. Um, so I was wondering, like, in your opinion, are there, are there opportunities to you know, uh, improve the way that we develop players in this country? I do think that we should consider having more players um, for longer. So I, there's, a, there's a notable drop, in, especially in girls, um, who play soccer at around 14, 15, and the drop is enormous. Um, so it's, it's like far higher than it is for boys. And I think one of the issues with that is that you don't know which talent you're sort of losing. Right. Um, so we need to think about how we um, deliver programs for girls and to keep them in. Um, so I think that that would improve. I also think that everybody needs to be more patient So I know that um, it's, you know, you think that the best players at 25 are the best players at nine, but that's not the truth, right? Like there's a lot of different pathways. And if we talk about Vanessa for, as one example, I mean, she didn't start playing soccer competitively until she was an adolescent, right? Till she was around 15. And so um, that just speaks to the fact that (laughs) the pathway is not so clear, Um, you know, like when I look at Olivia and Ariel and Molly and Bella, they were all such talented players, but they certainly weren't the best of the best at that age group. So it's more typical to not be the best in the younger age groups to be talented, but not the best and then um, excel in the end. And that's what the research shows on boys too, that a lot of times um, the early maturing boys have the early success, but the sustained success comes from the late maturing boys. So I think if parents and players could be a bit more patient and um, not be so caught up on playing on the top, top team, ultimately, I think my general rule, and I tell this to all players, regardless of their age, is that you want to play. You get better by playing. Um, The environment's obviously important. You want good coaching, but you don't get better sitting on the bench. 
So um, if it means you have to drop a division, then drop a division and then excel and then you'll move forward, right? But sitting on the bench doesn't get you too far in the game as far as I'm concerned. Now in Ontario, we're currently like in a stay-at-home order and there's been restrictions for, for quite some time, um, you know, especially when it comes to physical activity. Um, so, so last month you wrote uh, this really interesting op-ed in the Globe and Mail uh, about the importance of physical activity, um, especially in children and young adults. Uh, so what prompted you to write that op-ed? I wrote that op-ed actually to help soccer out. I mean, to help all sports out, but specific to soccer. Um, one of the things I thought wasn't happening enough was, um, I mean, I thought provincial and territorial organizations needed to use evidence to um, compel um, public health and politicians to consider opening soccer um, and other sports and the evidence supports that that would be where to go. So for example, um, in that op-ed, I talk about how only um, less than 1% of adolescents are meeting the movement behavior guidelines currently in Canada during the pandemic. That's ridiculous. Wait, um, less than 1% you said? Yeah, less than 1%. So 4.8% of children and 0.6% of adolescents meet the uh, movement behavior guidelines like that that's not that's even beyond sports like that's ridiculous right that needs to improve wow Um, and it doesn't make sense that we're denying kids this this opportunity i drove by the by many golf courses on saturday and they were packed right just packed with adults and there wasn't all that much social distancing so if the government of ontario thinks that's okay um, they should also think that it's okay for um, youth to be playing soccer. Uh, the transmission rates are extremely low. There's no evidence that there's a big, it's a super spreader. Um, but there's a lot of evidence that kids not playing the sport that they love um, are impacted in terms of their mental health, their physical health, and their cognitive uh, performance. Okay. Um, like, What's the last year like been... Uh, you know, during the pandemic for young people in terms of their physical activity, like, like, did it accelerate a trend towards moving less? Or was there just like a, like a sharp drop off in terms of like what kids were doing? I think it depends on the region, but it it became um, a precipitous drop in movement, right? So um, we don't see them. So remember, at the early phases of the pandemic, even our parks were closed. So so kids were like, you know, sent home and the parks were closed and they weren't allowed to play their sport. And we're going to talk about soccer as our example. So of course there's going to be movement disruptions and that's very problematic. It's problematic because exercise has such a powerful influence on mood and physical health. So for example, exercise acts as a very powerful antidepressant. Um, If you look at studies that compare to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the gold standard for treating depression in youth. Um, so if you compare, compare exercise to the gold standard of CBT, you see that exercise outperforms C- CBT in a lot of instances. So like we're wondering why the mental health of our youth is suffering. And yet we have this like clear example of a link between low exercise, low movement and depression. So in your piece, um, I'm just going to give you a a small quote. Um, So you wrote that uh, participation in sports reliably promotes physical and mental health, um, improves executive functions like self-regulation and paying attention and betters academic achievement uh, and classroom behavior. So the dialogue has so often been about keeping kids 
in the classroom during the pandemic, but your argument is that keeping access open to physical activity, um, like actually helps kids be, be more successful. Like they're not just in the class, but they're actually going to succeed more in the classroom. Like, am I understanding that? You got it right. right. Exactly. So I think people can readily identify that physical activity has a link to physical health, right? Like we know that there's been, you know, decades of public health messages about this, that you move more, you improve your cardiovascular health, um, you reduce your chances of type two diabetes, uh, you, you reduce obesity rates, all of that sort of thing. And there's a growing recognition that physical activity has an impact on mental health. But I think what people don't recognize, or maybe aren't as familiar with is that um, physical activity has an effect on brain health. So it affects almost all aspects of brain health. So there's more plasticity, memories improve, um, angiogenesis and neurogenesis uh, are improved, which is just means that there's the blood flows better, the the nerve uh, interactions are better. Um, It's related to the complexity of the dendrites, which is good. You know, you want good bushy brains with a lot of connections. Um, And this improves executive function. So the ability to pay attention, the ability to self-regulate and paying attention is so important to learning. So then it makes sense that if you improve all of this brain health stuff and you improve executive functions, that you're going to have better academic achievement. So to me, it's a no brainer, right? I mean, I know this because I'm a scientist in this area, but, um, and, and I, you know, I wrote it with the idea that people could trust the science behind it. Nobody's going to challenge the science, um, but I need um, people to, to use that science to advocate for kids. The other thing too, is that it's all inextricably linked. And I said that in that article about how, you know, low physical activity is related to cognitive problems, which is related to mental health problems, which is related to physical health problems. And you can pull anything out of that equation and it has like a collateral um, damage, right? So I think that we need to be um, not just me, but even you, and this is part of your step, your um, step over podcast is doing it is just advocate for kids based on science. So um, should the goal for, you know, the province and like society in general, basically just be uh, to keep to, to try our best to keep life as normal as possible for kids until this is all over? I mean, we should be striving for that. There's evidence coming out about how kids are doing better when their routines are more normal during the pandemic. And that makes sense, right? Again, that's like a common sense um, idea that's been supported through science. Um, I can't tolerate that kids would be sitting in classes, but not be allowed to play soccer. So if you have kids in class, then you should be allowed to have them play soccer. And I'm not talking where they're traveling from Ottawa to Markham to play an OPDL game. I'm talking about having, you know, smaller groups um, outside, uh, reducing contact. That should be okay. I mean, those are the measures we do in school. So why can't we do it um, in soccer? And like an outdoor Uh, space. Exactly. So um, it's not like we're shoving them into a little small gym and getting them all sweaty and breathing each other's faces. That's not what we're doing. They should be allowed to play soccer, um, out, outdoor sports, if uh, they're in school. So there's a disconnect between allowing them to be in school, but not allowing them to play sports. Well, Tracy, um, I only have one more question for you. Um, and uh, it's not as it's not as serious as these other ones. Uh, so we're recording this around lunchtime. I'm getting hungry. I'm looking forward <laughs> to supporting a local business. Uh, I know that you're a poutine fan. 
Um, I was wondering if you have any recommendations uh, for a poutine place because uh, I'm kind of okay. Kind of that's interesting. Like I like any chip wagon on the side of a road, right? Like I think they're so good. Oh, absolutely. But as I live in Greeley, I'm gonna do a shout out to Burgers and Shakes, which is fantastic. They have the best shawarma, by the way, Josh. If you want good shawarma, also good, absolutely. Right, their garlic dip is to die for. So I would suggest that one. Okay, Does that sound good. Absolutely. All right, Tracy, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your time. You've been really generous. Thank you. All right, that's Professor Tracy Valancourt. I want to thank her one more time. When you can get someone like that on the show, always makes your show better. Uh, we'll be back next time with some Atletico Ottawa chat. Until then, let's get kids playing back outside. Screaming from the rooftops. Till then, we'll see you.